Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, happy Easter Crossing Church. How are you doing today? It is so good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord, studying the word of the Lord, spending time with the Lord and one another in fellowship. It's incredible. And just like our worship leaders at all of our locations, we're talking about how in heaven they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Because of this day, the Bible says they sang a new song. And they sang, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you purchased men for God by your blood from every tribe, nation, people, and language. And the Bible says that everyone fell down and worshiped the lamb. This is what we celebrate today. The greatest thing that unites us, Jesus Christ is risen. Amen? Amen. I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining all across this region. So thankful for each and every one of you rolling up our sleeves, doing ministry together because a world so desperately needs to have hope in Jesus Christ. If you're inside, we pray for you and we know that you pray for us and we're glad you're joining as well. And if you are online, so thankful for each and every one of you. You see, whatever else in this world may seek to divide us, there is one truth that stands firm, that Jesus is risen. And it's a good thing because this last year has been a year full of division, hasn't it? We've been divided by a horrible pandemic. It divided families, friends, young and old. It divided co-workers. Even now, we're divided by whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. There's been intense racial division. There's been political division as well. But as deep as those divisions may be perceived to be, Jesus Christ has built a bridge that crosses the greatest divisions between us. There's a story about division in Genesis chapter 11. Some of you may have heard of it and you know about it. It's called the Tower of Babel. Seems like there was an intelligent group of people that decided that they could build a tower that would reach to God. And God judged them for that, condemned them for that. And at the time in the world, there was a single common language, the Bible says. And God came down in judgment and confused their one common language into different languages. And those divisions of language have existed in our world ever since and only grown in size. So for 2,000 years, think about this, two millennia, the Bible, which began and was first written in the language of Hebrew and then Greek and Aramaic, has been constantly translated into the languages of the world. But there are so many languages that the Bible's never been translated into. Some of them, they don't even have 
a written language. And so a written language has to be created in order for that people group to be able to have the Word of God. And I never thought that I would ever see a day in my lifetime, certainly, after 2,000 years, that the entire world would be blanketed by the written Word of God. I never thought that would ever happen. I never thought that would be a mountain that would be conquered until just a few weeks ago. I was on the phone with the president of Pioneer Bible Translators, named Greg Pruitt. Some of you who've been attending a while may remember a sermon series we did called Extreme Prayer. He, that was based off a book that Greg Pruitt wrote. And he shared with me that the top 10 translation ministries in the world were banded together to reach the final translations of the Bible. There were over 200 of them because they wanted the whole world to be able to have access to the Bible in their own language. And this is what he told me, that they had plans that every language on earth would be assigned a translator by 2035, and by 2051, every person on earth could pick up a Bible and read it in their own language. How awesome is that? Now, to me, that's just epic. To me, that just goes beyond anything that would ever be imagined. Can you imagine that you would just have to trust whatever somebody was saying to you because there was no way that you could just dive into God's Word and read it on your own? And now, here's this future in front of us. And so the reason that Greg called me was he wanted the crossing. He called us first, and he wanted the crossing to partner with him to actually make, to accomplish this. And he had an opportunity that he had a matching funds, philanthropic organization that would match, if he could raise $80,000, they would match $80,000 with $1.1 million. And they would be able to do their part with the other nine organizations to get this done. They, they, they want to raise a little over $6 million, but this is that particular part. And so they contacted me and the crossing first, and they said, how much of this $80,000 do you think that the crossing can do? And I went to the elders about this, and we said, you know what? We'll take all 80. We'll just take all 80. And they were just blown away. They were just blown away. I go, you tell the other churches that they can, they can hit some of those other languages, but we want to do that. So over a three-year, next three-year period, we're going to partner with Pioneer Bible Translators to accomplish this, to end the division of languages in the world when it comes to the message, written message of Jesus Christ in his word. And everyone in the world, everyone in the world will have a Bible in their language, and it'll happen in our lifetime. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, let us sink in. It's incredible. So the, the vision of language is just one of all the divisions that we have in this world, that we exist with in this world. And actually, the Bible is a book about this most incredible division that was created between God and humanity because of sin. As a matter of fact, you can only read two chapters of the very first book, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, where you read about the fellowship that man and God had, that humankind and God had together. By the time you get to Genesis 3, sin enters the world and it's all destroyed. It's all broken. 
The world of heaven and the world of earth splits apart. Like a great earthquake, there is this chasm that forms between these two worlds that cannot be crossed. You look behind me at all of our locations and you'll see a representation of that chasm. That's what that is. Like a tear in the fabric of earth that cannot be crossed between God and the people of earth. I'm so glad that the Bible just doesn't end with that, but it goes on to talk about what can unite us and how desperately we need it. The Bible is a book about how God bridged that gap, that divide, and he did it through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and what he did by dying on a cross for our sins, what he did by being buried in a borrowed tomb and then rising on the third day. And that is what we are celebrating today. Now, this is important. It's something that I think you're well aware of, that it is in the nature of sin to divide us. The very essence of sin is division, to divide. I want you to think about your life right now, just your life. Don't think about the people around you, just you. Think about you and your family. And I want you to think about how sin has broken a friendship. Think about how sin has broken a marriage. Think about how sin has destroyed a family or a relationship. That is what sin does. It's in the nature of sin to divide. It tears us apart. It tears relationships apart. Divisions that the, you, it feels like there's no going back from. And guess what happens? Those divisions create regrets. Every one of you at all of our locations, everyone watching, listening right now, you live with regret. You live with regret, I live with regret because regrets flow out of those divisions. Those things that we wish we could have a do-over because we know that whatever we did or whatever was done to us that was sinful tore us apart. And it seems that those divisions then become broken things that seem impossible to mend. The Bible teaches us this. It teaches us that death entered the world as a result of sin. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in the book of Romans. In chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin." This is what sin does. Ultimately, it leads to death. And if there was an ever an illustration about division, it's this word, this word death. Because death is a separation, isn't it? It's a separation that best illustrates the spiritual reality of the division between God and us. Like you, I've been at many funerals before. A lot of times people don't have a relationship with Jesus. A lot of times the, the, the person who's died didn't, or the family didn't, or both didn't. And I have seen, and maybe you have witnessed as well, 
times when grief becomes so overpowering, a person will grab a hold of the casket and they don't want to let go because there's such a sense of finality to it. I'll never see this person again. I'll never be in a relationship with this person again. It's over. It's hopeless. It's terrible. They have to be pried off of it because it seems so final. It seems so irreversible. It seems so inevitable. And then there's this day. And then there's the resurrection. There's Easter Sunday, and it changes everything. I have seen people with a relationship with Jesus mourning, certainly mourning the loss of a person, but not as others who have no hope, even celebrating a new body, eternal life, eternal fellowship with the Lord, the hope that they'll be spending eternity together. You see, that's all because of this day. That is all because of Easter. That is all because of the resurrection of Jesus. It literally changes everything. Jesus crosses a divide between heaven and earth by becoming a human being. He crosses a divide between sin and death by never sinning and overcoming death. He crosses the divide between heaven and hell by defeating the power of Satan. He leads us out of darkness. He leads us into light, out of death and into life, out of judgment and into grace, out of hell and into heaven. Only Jesus can do that. And that is what we celebrate today. Consider the gravity of this moment. Consider the power of the victory of Easter and the battle at the cross. Now, history is full of victories, right? Some of you were watching television last night. You saw that second game between UCLA and Gonzaga tied up and three seconds left to go. And then nearly a half-court shot at the very last second. It'll go down in history, right? As this incredible shot, bank shot in to win the game and to move on to the final national championship. What a victory. Yeah, sometimes we think about them as victories. And they... They think we think that they'll last. Super Bowls, World Series. Oh, this will last for all time. Watched by millions of committed fans, only to be forgotten the next year by all but the most committed. Some victories in our history actually turn the tide. They turn the tide of history from one empire to another, leaving those who follow only to speculate what might have happened if the tide hadn't turned and the battle had been lost. Some victors are heralded as the greatest of all time, the GOAT, only to be found out later that they cheated to gain some unfair advantage. Some victories may have changed the course of history, only uh, to be completely forgotten by the next or later generations. Games, empires, and champions, well, they've come and they've gone over the centuries. Some remembered, but mostly forgotten, right? But there was one battle. 
one battle, one moment, and one champion remembered by all the world. And the victory won was for the whole world and for all time. The scene was obscure in its day, but would become the center of the world after this battle. It would become the center point of the world's three great monotheistic religions, and the conflict between those religions would continue to mark it for millennia. At the time, the battle would go unnoticed by nearly all the world. It wouldn't even look like a battle. It would look like a normal criminal execution of a religious leader rejected by his own people and put to death by an occupying military force. A man, barely an adult by most standards of his day, with only three years of public presence, without a network, without finances, without a formal education, who never wrote down a single thing, who never traveled a hundred miles from where he was born, who never raised an army, who built an organization, or ever fought a battle that anyone could see, fought a battle with an enemy that no one acknowledged. He came without conventional weapons, without brothers in arms, without any perceived strategy, without any clear pathway to a positive outcome. He died virtually alone, abandoned by nearly all who called him a friend. He died naked, surrounded by murderers and thieves, pious religious people who cursed at him and spat on him and reviled him, and professional soldiers apathetic to what for them was just another day. He died in physical agony for nothing because those in authority knew he was without fault, or so they testified. Two religious cowards and one straggling follower buried him in a borrowed tomb, and that was the end of it. No one knew. No one knew what was actually happening. No one could have imagined that a strategy for battle that had unfolded for literally thousands of years was playing out before their eyes and what seemed like the finality of epic failure was only a crisis moment that would bring about the greatest victory of all time. A victory that would be remembered by the whole world for all time. That Friday over 2,000 years ago was the greatest battle of all time and the daybreak of the following Sunday morning was the greatest victory of all time. And there is nothing that has ever happened in this world that compares to it. One man faced all the forces of darkness and the mountain ranges of sin piled up over countless years and he ended them. His victory was absolute. He was victorious over physical death, the inevitable consequence of even just one sin against God because Jesus never sinned, not even once. He was victorious over Satan and all of his allies, that ancient enemy of God, removing all the power that he had over this world and the children of God 
for all time. He crushed the serpent's head. He was victorious over all the world's accumulated sin, past, present, and future, covering over their guilty stain by his perfect blood. Now that was over 2,000 years ago, but it is just as powerful and effective as as if it happened yesterday. Not only has the world not forgotten it, the world has tried to snuff out its memory. They've tried to explain it away. They've tried to discount it. They've tried to ignore it, but it towers over the wrecks of time. Every other victory will come and it will go. And many, if not most, will be forgotten. But this one, only this one, will be the one achievement that will forever define who we were, who we are, and what we will be. Jesus Christ is risen. Amen? Now, I am not standing up here today to debate that because it's a fact. As a matter of fact, it would take you much more faith to disbelieve it than to believe it. It's not hard. It's a short walk. So I have no intention today to try to prove what is so easily provable. And no matter what you do, no matter how you respond, it will not change the fact of that event. You can't change it for anyone else. You can't change it for the world. What you believe or fail to believe has no consequence as it applies to the fact of that event. However, what you believe or disbelieve has everything to do with your eternity. Everything to do with you. And that is the question. The question is, what do you believe? At this moment, today, what do you believe? There is no middle ground. You see, some of us, what we want to do is we want to put one foot on one side of this chasm and we want to put the other foot on the other side of this chasm and we feel like we can straddle this place of God and this place of earth and live this way. But I have to inform you, the chasm is too wide. There is no way to straddle both these worlds. Either you're on one side or you're on the other side. There is no middle ground, only a chasm that must be crossed or fails to be crossed. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 to 19. He says these words, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. No middle ground. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. No middle ground. 
For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. There is no middle ground. Then those who have fallen asleep in Jesus are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. No middle ground. Can we make it simpler? Let's break down what the Apostle Paul's saying here. Either you believe in the resurrection or you don't. Either you believe that Jesus is dead or that Jesus is alive. Either you believe that preaching is life-giving or it's foolish propaganda. Either you believe that faith is real or faith is fake. Either you believe that the testimony of the apostles and prophets is true, or you believe that they were all liars. Either he rose from the dead or he didn't. Either you are a foolish person or you're free. Either you're alive in salvation or you're dead in sin. Either those who believe before you are enjoying heaven or lost forever. Either we hit the jackpot or we're the world's biggest losers. There is no middle ground. There is only a chasm that can only be navigated by a bridge made from the wood of a cross. That's it. Only Jesus could take the word bridge and the word cross and make them synonymous. There is a bridge that crossed the great divide. There is a cross that bridged the great divide. It's the only way. There is no other way. That's what Jesus said in John 14. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm a way. Pick a way, try mine. He said, I am the way, singular. He said, I am the truth, singular. He said, I am the life, singular. And then he spells it in crayon. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. There's only one way, and that's his way. The way of Jesus. You are... You are sitting in a moment right now. You are living in a tension between two worlds right now. And heaven is listening. Listening. What will you choose? What will you believe? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.